Well, good morning, everyone. We're at Palm Sunday. Five and a half weeks ago on Ash Wednesday, uh, some of you, many of you may have joined us for our Ash Wednesday service. During our time there where we spent reflecting uh, in those few moments at the beginning of Lent, I encouraged us to uh, take a piece of paper uh, and to tear off four corners to make something in the form of a paper cross. Um, fear not if you, if you weren't there, by all means go and get a piece of paper uh, now uh, ready for these next few moments together. You may have also had in the post this week your palm crosses. And instead, of, maybe you might want to have in both hands your paper cross and your, your palm cross. Because there's four tear-off points to a piece of paper. There's four parts to a cross. And there's four points to our talk this morning. Throughout Lent, we've been thinking and we've been journeying, in fact, since the beginning of this sermon series, equipped on the way towards Jerusalem. We, we looked at it on Ash Wednesday Chapter 9, verse 51, where Luke describes Jesus setting his face, turning his face towards Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus knew he was to go and he was to accomplish his mission when he came to this earth. So for our four points this morning, the first one uh, will require some imagination. I don't know how good you are at history. I'm, I'm not very good at all. But cast your minds back with me over two and a half thousand years ago around 520 BC. Um, this is where we need to go to understand the significance of Palm Sunday. Because around that time, 520 BC, uh, in Jerusalem, uh, the Israelites, God's people, were coming back to Jerusalem as the temple was being rebuilt. And this guy, this prophet called Zechariah, was speaking words of comfort and hope and reminding them of God's faithfulness of his covenant to them. And as they come back, Zechariah writes many messianic prophecies, one of which is recorded in chapter 9, verse 9. In it, he says, in summary, that one day there will come a king to Jerusalem, the city of peace, on a donkey, to shouts of praise in humility, so that he will bring peace. That's the prophecy. The king is coming the prophecy of the king. The king is coming. First point, the king is coming. Second point for us to think about today is the king is here. Fast forward 550 years from that point, around 30 years of Jesus' ministry. As he walked the streets, he taught people, he healed people, he taught miracles. I did miracles. He taught many amazing things. And these words of Zechariah are no longer just a prophecy. They're actually coming to life because Jesus is here. He's so close, in fact, to Jerusalem that he's just within one mile of Jerusalem. The progressive, the progressive journey of Jesus, as we've been walking our way through Luke's Gospel, and as we'll continue to as well after Easter, this progressive journey of Jesus towards Jerusalem is nearing completion. And we pick up our passage today in just a few moments, immediately after the parable of the ten pounds or the ten minus, as it is sometimes known as. Uh, Jesus talks about in this parable of a king, of a king having commissioned his people, his friends, his servants to go and make use of what he's given to them. But then when he returns, he's slightly disappointed with what he finds and he casts judgment on his enemies. So with the parable in mind and with the prophecy of Jesus in mind, 520 years or so, 550 years prior to Jesus, 
this is where we pick up the account in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find the colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he, Jesus, came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build up an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. We've looked at the king is coming and we're on our second point, the king is here. Jesus is using a donkey, a colt, and it's significant for a number of reasons. Firstly, it fulfills that prophecy spoken all those years before by Zechariah. Secondly, a donkey is a sign of peace and not of military confrontation. Israel's messianic hopes of Jesus' day, they were tied up in this view of a messiah who would come on a war horse and confront and stand up to the Roman Empire. A donkey is quite the opposite of a war horse. Third, two phrases that have stood out to me particularly this week uh, have been which have been this, which no one had ever ridden, and they put Jesus on it. Now it got me thinking, why does Luke write this? What's significant about these phrases? Well, on the first one, which no one had ever ridden, um, I managed to find out that rabbinic teaching of Jesus' day uh, stated that no one should ever ride on the animals that the king would use. What of the thing, the other point? And they put Jesus on it. Well, when the crowds throw their cloaks on the road, it's the equivalent to rolling out the red carpet in our modern day. The Golden Globes, the Oscars, all the celebrities roll out the, 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 the red carpet. When the king comes to town, the queen comes to town, you roll out the red carpet. But they also throw their cloaks on the donkey before they put Jesus on it. Did you notice that? So for the crowds in that moment, they realise the king is here. And with the king being present here, well, the king needs a throne. 
Prepare the throne. A throne that needs the red carpet treatment. A throne that reflects the nature of this king. One who is humble. And one who is here to bring and establish peace. I wonder if your heart reflects the nature of King Jesus. Where in your heart, in your life today, might you need to put Jesus on his rightful throne in your heart? Where is he not fully on his throne in your heart and in your life? The king is coming. The king is here. The king has come. It's our third point today. A few years ago, I was able, I had the privilege of being able to go to Jerusalem, to go to Israel, for loads of different parts of Israel over two weeks with a group of friends. Uh, over those two weeks, we went to lots of places up in the north of, uh, in Galilee, to the, to the seaside uh, and in Jerusalem. And on our last few days uh, of our, our time in, in Israel, uh, we managed to go up to the Mount of Olives. In the blazing heat, we walked up to the top. We got to the top. We spent some time there looking around. And as we started to walk down the Mount of Olives, uh, we, for the whole of our time, in fact, in Israel, we were looking through Luke's gospel. And right up the top, we had just read the parable of the ten miners. And we started to walk down. And one person was reading out in quite a loud voice, much to the confusion of people walking past us, what's going on there? Um, but they were reading it. And as we were walking down, and we were reading uh, these verses which I've just read. And we got part of the way down and we paused and we opened Luke chapter 19 and we looked at verse 37 and as loud as we could possibly say without causing too much confusion or disturbance we shouted and praised how blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord there's about 40 of us shouting this out on the side of the Mount of Olives looking across at Jerusalem Jerusalem gets bigger and bigger and comes more into view as you come down the side of the Mount of Olives you see, we were on our pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And these disciples, these crowds, these followers of Jesus were following him all the way to this moment. Psalm 118, that's the psalm that's quoted here. Blesses the, the one, the name, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a psalm of royal entry. The crowds realise this is the king. That was the king that we were told about, prophesied about. But the king is here and the king has come. I'm going to give praise to the king. But did you see what happened to the crowd? When Jesus came near to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, as Luke writes, the crowds of disciples began to joyfully praise God. You see, they realised that the king has come, so joyful praise breaks out. So when they put Jesus in his rightful place, praise is the natural overflow from that moment. Joy is so often a word used. Joyous, joy is so often a word used throughout the Gospels to talk about divine intervention. Talk about divine intervention right here at the start of Holy Week. The God-man, God became human flesh like one of us. Divine intervention, his mission to come and bring and establish peace between us and God once and for all, for all of eternity. And yet, in the crowd there were those that were rejecting Jesus. And yet today, there are so many that reject who Jesus is. 
the Pharisees were asking Jesus, teacher, rebuke the crowd, rebuke your disciples. They'd missed the point. They'd missed the point. They're rejecting Jesus, the king that was long prophesied about, who's right there before their very eyes. What they don't realise in that very moment is not that just he's the king that's being prophesied about. They don't realise, in fact, that he's the one who is going to roll the stone of his tomb away in just a week's time. The irony of Jesus' response. He says, if the crowds keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Even an animate object realised what's happening here. But the sad irony is still true today. Whilst many people, lots of people, reject Jesus. If the church keeps quiet, even the rocks will cry out. I don't want rocks to sing louder to the praise of our Saviour. In Psalm 118, that psalm that was just sung by these crowds to Jesus, praising Jesus joyously. Psalm 118, just literally before that verse that they quote, it says this. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done it and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How are you joyfully praising God at the moment in your life? What are the stories, the miracles perhaps, the moments that cause you to praise God and give thanks for what he's done? Let us rejoice and be glad in it because the Lord has done marvellous things in our sight this very day. The King is coming. The King is here. The King has come. And we see also here at the end of this passage we read, the king will come again. The peace of the king. He will come again. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he's coming down the Mount of Olives. He weeps over it. The raw emotion of Jesus. Weeping over Jerusalem. It's also called the city of peace. He's perhaps weeping because he knows that this is the place where he is going to die in just a few days time. Perhaps too he's weeping because he knows that there are not just those who've rejected him there, but there are going to be many throughout all of history that will reject him. Who've not fully grasped that he himself would be the one that's come to establish and bring about peace for all of humans, for all of time. You see, Jesus wasn't just coming to Jerusalem to establish political peace between the Roman Empire or between the religious leaders. No. Jesus was coming to bring about a much greater, deeper, richer peace. Shalom, peace, justice. And as one commentator puts it, he says this. The gift of God, Jesus coming, this is, of Jesus coming to establish peace, is the gift of God that embraces salvation for all. How expansive is that? In all of its social, material and spiritual realities. It's the gift of God that embraces all things for all people. Jesus is forewarned here of the temple one day being destroyed. It was a terrible day in AD 70 when that happened. But Jesus is fully aware 
that there will be a day in the future where it will be far, far worse than that day in AD 70, when he himself will come, the King of glory, in all his glory, and seek to establish peace forever. The parable, what Jesus has just told, is going to come to pass in himself. Back on the side of the Mount of Olives, when I was standing there, I was reading these verses and I couldn't help myself from weeping too. I was weeping because I realised in that moment that there's a world, there's cities in which I, I was living in Cambridge at the time, I'm now living in Cambridge still, funnily enough. There's a world, there's a city, there are people in our streets that don't yet know and believe and trust in Jesus. They don't know that the King has come. And yet also that the King will one day come again. Back in October, John McGinley, I don't know if you remember all, that feels such a long time ago, doesn't it, October? He spoke about having compassion for the lostness of people. A bit more recently, Lent, we've been going through the brighter course, learning about how we can have confidence in the faith that we believe and how we can share it with other people. What we know and what we've seen through Luke's Gospel so far in our Equipped on the Way series is that Jesus so often has compassion on so many people. I wonder if you've been challenged and convicted just as much as I have been in my own personal evangelism. Because as followers of Jesus, if we follow a Jesus who is compassionate and loving and caring, do we have the same level of compassion and love and care for people around us as he does? So much so for their eternal salvation. What a challenging question. What a challenging thing to think about. I'm wrestling it with my own self. You see, the story of Palm Sunday, among many other things, is this. It's about the prophecy of Jesus coming true, being fulfilled. It's about Jesus coming near. It's about Jesus being praised. And it's about Jesus' forewarning of a coming future judgment. Only a king like Jesus can fulfill prophecies in the way that Jesus did. Only Jesus, a king like Jesus, can come in such humility on a donkey. Only a king like Jesus deserves the highest praise. Only a king like Jesus can establish peace once and for all, for all, and only a king like Jesus can come and bring judgment one day in the future. So this week, as we journey to Good Friday, may I invite you to take your cross, paper cross, palm cross, whichever one, both perhaps, and consider that the king, we were told about the king was coming. For the crowds, he was here. Then he's come and that reality that he will come again. Jesus has come. Jesus is here now by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises one day to come again. Amen.